Hey there, Tony here again with the Tony Funderburk Words and Music of Faith, Hope, and Love podcast, episode number 17. Hey, we're on to something here, I think. Um, this past week, I was still struggling with some uh, hosting and server issues, and uh, it took a while for me to get some of the things that I had written uh, posted. So if you've been following the blog, you may have noticed that... Uh, uh, not everything was there every day uh, on its normal daily basis. Some of it got um, uh, quite a few, well, it's not, I don't want to say quite a few, it's only a week, but um, a few of the days actually got posted today. And uh, I had written the articles but couldn't post them. So, such is uh, life in the digital world sometimes. But I'm going to go ahead and get right into this podcast, and uh, I'm still... Uh, most of this is still in the, um, well, all of this is still in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, basing this out of Paul's writings to the Corinthians. And uh, the first one starts off with um, talking about laying the foundation. Now, it's, that, that's the first step to building a house, you know. But it's only one of several steps in the whole process. If you stop there, you wouldn't have much of a house. Now, sticking with the house building analogy... Let me put it like this. Let's say John Q. Smith has a home building company and he hires a concrete company to pour the foundations, some framers to build the main structure, electricians and plumbers, sheet rockers, trim carpenters and painters, and even a final cleaning crew. Each one of those companies or service providers plays a key role in the completion of the house. But when it's all said and done, John Q. Smith alone is acknowledged as the builder, and rightfully so. He made sure the whole project was started and completed, and he paid for it all. He's the reason all the others even have the work in the first place. Now, maybe you're already ahead of me, but let's apply that to matters of eternal consequence. God created everything there is. He is the builder. When we choose to work for Him, we are able to use the gifts and talents He gave us to either lay the foundation for salvation in someone's life, or we get to help at some other stage in the process. And the Apostle Paul wrote it like this in 1 Corinthians 3.6. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Paul was acknowledging the fact that he laid the foundation of God's love in the hearts and minds of the Corinthians, but he also gave credit to Apollos for expounding on that information, keeping it up. And the full credit he gave to God for any good that came of it. Here's another cool part to this. Paul also said, He who plants and he who waters are one. They're equal in value and importance. And sometimes we may think we're laying a foundation or planting when, in fact, the foundation we're laying is also helping someone further along in their knowledge of God's love for them. And my desire is that I, as I keep writing my words and music of faith, hope, and love, I'll find creative ways to plant golden seeds and saturate them with living water so that my work endures to the day of redemption. And I'll be eternally grateful to God the Builder because He paid for it all. And He's the Builder. So, you know, if you don't have any um, ability yourself to create, oh, let's say, a solar system or a galaxy or maybe, you know, even a universe, something as crazy and 
wacky as that, if you don't have that ability, then you're not really the builder of anything. You're the manipulator of what was already here, if you get my, if you get my drift. I'd like to carry that a little further. And Paul was talking about becoming a fool for God. And I wrote three reasons to become a fool. Now, if you think you're pretty smart, if you think you're fairly wise, I'd like to share three reasons to become a fool. Yeah, foolishness isn't the typical characteristic most experts would tell you to aspire to for success, but, but then most experts aren't looking at the big picture. I don't mean the local view or the regional or state or country or even global picture. I'm talking about the eternal big picture. You're either going to live or merely exist forever. The so-called wisdom of this world won't lead you to abundant eternal life. The most you can hope for in this life is to have good health and all your needs, wants, and desires met. While those are awesome things, they're temporary. Think about it. You won't die from too much health or money. But death, like corrupt taxation, for example, is inevitable. So, have you ever considered where and how you'd like to end up when it happens to you? If my worldview is correct, and it is, the next part of your life, after death, is eternal. That's a really, 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 and I could put some more reallys on there, long time. And the choices you make here and now will directly affect where and how you'll spend that time. Okay, here are the three reasons to become a fool. Paul said, The wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. And, If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Two, When you do, then you are Christ's. And three, Christ is God's. So, Connect the dots. Now, don't misunderstand. To become a fool, as the Bible describes, doesn't mean to be a fool as the world describes a fool. Rather, be a fool to this world because of your willingness to stand up for and kneel down to the one who merely spoke words and the whole universe leaped into existence. We're supposed to be, those of us who believe in God, we're supposed to be stewards of the mysteries of God. As I was growing up in Texas and Kansas, I couldn't have imagined that anyone would ever call me one of those stewards of the mysteries of God. That's a quote from Paul. In fact, if someone had told me that's what I might be someday, I probably would have responded with a very intellectual sounding, huh? But here I am. And I can tell you, I haven't been a good steward of those mysteries for most of my life. Most of the time, I served self, and self never seemed to be satisfied. So I'm probably not the one to be found faithful, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. But this is based on God's judgment, not the judgment of the world. And His judgment goes to my heart, not merely my words, actions, and deeds. Even as I read how God will, quote, both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts, unquote, I find his wise love right in that. 
Because if we were only judged according to our words, actions, and deeds, it would mean two things. One, the judging person wouldn't even need to be God. And two, a person with more education or more physical abilities or more money would have a better chance at heaven and salvation than someone more challenged in those areas. But God doesn't love or judge according to outward signs. He searches our hearts and minds, and His love and eternal compassion are offered to everyone of every color, creed, and ethnicity. When Paul wrote that others should consider us servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, he was expounding on the main mystery he was sent to reveal. That mystery was how Jesus came to earth as a man, died for all sinners, and rose again to show us all his great love and the way to eternal life. Prior to Paul, there were no other prophets and writers talking about how grace would be a free gift even to the Gentiles. That news was a mystery hidden through the ages. Well, here in my little digital studio office, I'm acting as one of those stewards of the mysteries of God today and sharing this awesome information with anyone who would like to know the love of their Creator. Believe me when I say it surpasses anything you're able to comprehend in this mortal life. And as you're being or becoming a steward of the mysteries of God, oftentimes you can become a spectacle to the world. Now, a spectacle is described, it's, it's uh, described in the dictionary as an event or scene regarded in terms of its visual impact. A spectacle can be an amazing, beautiful thing. It can also be a cruel form of punishment when someone is put on display to mock and ridicule. When Paul wrote how he and other apostles were made a spectacle to the world, they sort of fit into both categories. For a long time in America, Christians and Christianity were much more respected and trusted. But more and more, we're being made a spectacle to the world. I hope my Christian brothers and sisters will join me in accepting the responsibility of standing up for Jesus, though. Don't you think it would please God if we're able to bless others even while we're reviled, endure even as we're being persecuted, and keep working for the Lord even as we're being defamed? I think so. I'm as human as the next person. I'd love to be loved and cherished by everyone. But I know this isn't a realistic expectation. Jesus said, They persecuted me, they will persecute you. And they hated me, they'll hate you. And so, very often that persecution and hate will come in the name and disguise of love and tolerance. But even if the whole world comes to hate me, but my loving Creator loves me, I'm a winner. I don't care if that makes me the filth of the world, because that's nothing to be compared to the glory of heaven. And the glory of heaven will always be an inexorable and inexplicable spectacle to the world. And even though I may be a spectacle to the world, I still want to come to people who, who don't know Jesus as their Savior with a spirit of gentleness. If you've read all or most of my Bible-based articles on my website, I hope you understand how I do write to you with a spirit of gentleness. Now, sometimes my words may sound a little more heavy-handed, but 
That's when I'm sharing a major point from God's perspective, not merely my own opinion. For the most part, though, I simply want to share the reasons for my faith, hope, and love with gentleness and respect. Paul wrote to the Corinthians of his day and said, quote, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. He was speaking to them as their spiritual father, but he wasn't a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do kind of father. He didn't want them to imitate him in ways he didn't imitate Jesus. He knew that in order to pass on the news of the kingdom of God, he had to show how it had been given to him. And Paul knew a good father would have to occasionally discipline his children. So he'd say some things straight out sometimes. Like how he told them, As my beloved children, I warn you. And how he said, Some are puffed up. Paul didn't sugarcoat or dilute God's word, but his faith, hope, and love come shining through every chapter of every letter he wrote to his followers. And like any good father, Paul preferred love over discipline. I think that's why he wrote, Shall I come to you with a rod? Or in love, in the spirit of gentleness. That makes me think back to my own childhood when my brother and I would sometimes push our luck when we were supposed to be going to sleep. We'd make a little too much noise and get a little too carried away, pounding on each other and whatever, you know, whatever brothers do. And my father would call out from his room, If I have to come in there, I'll bring my belt. And in no time at all, a spirit of gentleness whisked us off to dream down. The final article I wrote for this past week that I'd like to include uh, in this podcast episode talks about the bread of sincerity and truth. If we eat from, or want to eat from, the bread of sincerity and truth, we need to realize we can't just feed the flesh and expect to live forever. Eternal life doesn't work that way. Believe me, I totally understand how the flesh wants what the flesh wants. And each of us gives in to it. That's the whole reason Jesus even came to earth as a man. Our souls are eternal. Our spirits can be too, but our bodies aren't. So if we meander through life with a singular physical perspective, we can justify almost anything our little hearts desire. The despicable things we're capable of have no limits. Paul even wrote how someone among the Corinthians had, quote, such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. That's his mother, you know. Paul was also frustrated by the fact that the Corinthians weren't even upset by this. He found them to be puffed up. There's that again. He told them they should deliver this person to Satan. Wow, that's harsh. But one line later, we can see the true love found in the bread of sincerity and truth when Paul says that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul was trying to get across how this person's spirit was at stake. The death of the spirit is what's mentioned in the Bible as the second death. And from that, there's no return. Paul knew that this person's spirit was in jeopardy. A lot of people, mostly comedians, have shared the story of how a woman might ask a man if her pants make her bottom look too big. You've heard that? Does this make my bottom look too big? They use other words, but I'm using that one. And of course, the question begs the truth to be withheld. But that's not of eternal importance. 
you know, that's a pair of pants and a figure, physical figure. On the matter of whether someone's spirit will live forever in paradise with God, truth should not be withheld. If we love our fellow man, and we're told to do so, we should be willing to share the bread of sincerity and truth. It may be initially more difficult to swallow, but it's eternally nutritious for the spirit. Okay, got a little health tip in there for your spirit. Um, that's the end of uh, podcast episode number 17 on TonyFunderberg.com, Words and Music of Faith, Hope, and Love. I hope you'll keep tuning in and tell your friends. Until next time, God bless.